The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you would, please pray with me. Our Father and our God, this morning we gather in the name of Jesus. We gather as the people who've been covered in the blood of Christ, as the people who belong to you by your grace, as the people who find our hope in you, as the people who long to be used by you, as the people who need your help. Lord, we come and we're looking to you, so we pray you would speak to us from your word. We pray you would help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to see you guys all with us this morning. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 13, uh, where Ashlyn just read for us. At Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of 
Exodus. And in many ways, um, if you like the action parts of the Bible, um, the, the main pivotal action has happened. God delivered his people from Egypt. He freed them from the hand of Pharaoh. He destroyed the firstborn. They were ushered out. They've been set free. And so if you like the action-packed version of the Bible, this is going to be a strange passage because it slows down. The action will pick up again right after what Ashlyn read for us. But what you have in verses 1 through 16 of chapter 13 is, is the Lord, through Moses, speaking commentary over the situation. What you have is the Lord saying, I do not want you to forget what I have done for you. More than that, I want what I have done for you to shape you forever. Who is Israel? Might be the question. The answer? The people of God delivered by his power and redeemed from death. That's who. So what we see, now, now if we look closely at, at chapter 13, you have two obscure realities that are a little hard to fit together. You have a feast of unleavened bread every year, no leaven in your bread. And you have the Lord saying, every firstborn, both man and beast, is ultimately mine. It belongs to me. And then you have the, the passage jumping back and forth between these realities. And so that leaves us with this head-scratching question of, how does all of this fit together? And here's how. The identity of Israel is that God is, is their God, and he has redeemed them. And what is taking place in Exodus chapter 13 is the Lord himself is establishing new practices that will cause his people to remember what he has done for them for all generations. The Lord is establishing a generation-by-generation generation remembrance of his saving power so that his saving power will shape generation after generation. That's what we see going on in this passage. So let's look at the passage and let's see how these things work their way out. So if you want to take notes this morning, our first point is Passover identity. Now, identity is a very often used, almost buzzword these days, particularly within the church. But, but all we mean by identity is this. Really, who are you? At the core of this identity question running through Exodus 13 is this. Who is Israel? And the answer matters. The answer matters. Look at verse 8. So after the Lord has put down what he expects, verse 8. You shall tell your son that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out 
of Egypt. So what do you, what do you see there in verse 8? The Lord's saying this practice is because of what God has done for us in Egypt. It's because of the Passover. Then look down at verse 14. This is about the firstborn son. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So do you see what's going on in those those two verses that we looked at? The Lord's saying, what I've done for you in the Passover is intended to define who you are. In particular, Israel is the people of Yahweh. Yahweh, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who showed his power in Egypt, he delivered his people. The message to Pharaoh was, let who go? Let my people go. The great God who defeated Pharaoh, defeated Egypt, and defeated all the gods did so so that his people would belong to him. Israel is the people of Yahweh, and the Passover reminds them of that. Second, Israel is the people of deliverance. These two passages really drive this theme home that the Lord broke them free. He delivered them from the house of Egypt. He delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh. He delivered them from Egypt. It was God who did it. By his power, in his ways, upon his time, God delivered his people. And he wants his people to forever be known for and shaped by the reality that he is their only deliverer. God delivers his people. Third, it tells us that they, that Israel is the people of redemption. God brought them out of Egypt, but in what way? He sent death to the firstborn in every household of all of Egypt, but death passed over the households of the Israelites, and they were unharmed, and they were let go. So death came to the firstborn of Egypt, and in the house of the Israelites, death came to the blood of a lamb, But in both ways, Israel was redeemed, purchased out of, brought forth from, delivered from death. Israel did not die because the Lord redeemed them. He passed over them. The Lord redeemed his people. He bought them at great cost out of slavery. What the passage is saying is that Israel always is the people of Yahweh, delivered by Yahweh, redeemed by Yahweh, and that truth is what is intended to shape Israel. 
Think of it this way. What the Lord is saying right after he did it, right after the Passover, what he's saying is this is not a moment in the history of Israel. This is the moment. This is the moment that you will always remember because it always tells you who you are, how you belong to me, and what your purpose is. The Lord intended the Passover to give identity to the people of Israel. So we see in these verses that the Lord is setting up practices to remind continually Israel that their identity is first and foremost the people of God who were delivered by God at a price paid by God. Second, if you're taking notes, the Lord intends this to be an ongoing identity. He doesn't just intend it to be for those who went through the Passover, but he intends it to be for generation after generation after generation of Israelites. He is giving with these two commands, these two remembrances, these two celebrations, these two activities, he's giving to his people a means of shaping the identity of Israel for generation after generation after generation. We see that again in verse 8 and in verse 14. Because notice what the Lord says. He says, I want you to explain this to your son, what we do and why we do it. Verse 14, when your son asks, why do we do this? You shall tell them we do it to remember and to identify continually with what God has done for us. The Passover identity is intended to shape Israel generation after generation after generation. That's why in verses 8 and 14 we see this next generation thing going on. The next generation matters to the Lord. So let's put, let's put our worship service into context. What just happened up there in the baptistry today? A human created in the image of God professed faith in Jesus. That's worthy of celebration. But something else happened there. One generation of those who've experienced the saving power of the Lord saw that saving power passed on to the next generation. And that matters to the Lord. And now, friends, this is where we have to take our theology seriously. This passing on to the next generation doesn't happen by default, and it doesn't happen automatically. So if you're assuming that just because you bring your kids to religious services that the faith's being passed on to the next generation, please stop assuming that right now. That's not how it works. The Lord intends those who know him and his saving power to pass that faith on to the next generation. And that's something we take very seriously here at Redeemer Church. We want to see an ongoing remembrance of the Lord's saving power shaping who we are generation after generation after generation. 
So yeah, if you're a mom or a dad, look at your house and say, how are we passing this on? But part of our covenant here at Redeemer is not just that we will do the one another's together, but that we will pray and labor for the next generations connected to that covenant community to know the Lord and know his saving power. Generations are in mind here, and it's important that we see that and take it seriously. Something else is in mind here. What's in mind is that the celebration is intended to be costly. I don't necessarily mean high cost financially, but the celebration, both of them given here, have a a high investment factor that would cause the power of the celebration to resound upon a people. There's the, the firstborn son. Well, you mean to tell me, Lord, that when our firstborn is born, we have to purchase him back from you? Yeah. Why? Because Israel was my firstborn. And at the cost of Egypt's firstborn, I delivered Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh. And I spared your firstborn. And so in this, this event that happens at not just firstborn human, but firstborn animal, we're orienting who we are around the Lord's deliverance of us from Egypt. The costliness of it is intended to ex- require explanation, which it requires teaching, which requires remembering, which requires aligning, which requires obedience, which requires following. It's intended to be set up that way. And then the whole thing about leaven, cleanse the leaven from your house for a week. If you go back and you read chapter 12 carefully, day one was the Passover celebration. And then right up against it, the Lord puts a seven-day celebration called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what you have is an eight-day celebration with a huge festival at the beginning and the end. Not only that, what you have is in the between, your house has, before the festival begins, your house has to be cleaned out. You have to change what you cook, how you cook it, why you cook it, what you eat. You have to prepare for all of that because in those seven days, there'll be no leaven in anything. Now, why? The high investment factor of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is intended to cause us to remember why we're celebrating and what the Lord has done for us. I mean, look, I got three or two teenagers and one preteen in my house. And let me just tell you something. You mess with their food, they're going to ask about it. And we're messing with their food for seven days. Now, all you ladies that keep your households running, Changing the way you cook and eat in your pantry for seven days, you're like, dude, that's a 45-day project. And it is. And that's the point. That we remember with great intentionality 
what the Lord has done. He is setting this up as an annual remembrance that we are the Lord's, by the Lord's, saving, delivering, redeeming power. And if you know, I mean, any of us ever gone to Thanksgiving and forgotten to be thankful? Anybody besides me? You just walk away going, how did my family end up so dysfunctional? And now I'm old enough to realize that there's going to be a generation asking that about me and my wife. Like, how did they end up being so dysfunctional? Like, I feel like we should have retirement accounts and emergency funds and kids' counseling funds. Like, we should just be saving all three of those across the board. That's for you too, by the way. Have you ever gone to Christmas, woken up on Christmas Day and forgotten that, like, oh, we're celebrating that Jesus was born? Yeah, we're all human. It happens to us. And so what the Lord is saying is like, I'm going to set up these remembrances in such a way that it forces you to not only pause, but to recognize and be shaped by what it is that we're celebrating. God is a saving God who delivers his people and redeems them by his power through his blood. And so the repetitiveness of it is intended because we are so quick to forget. So the Lord is, what he's doing in these two practices is he is setting up an annual, or or, or, excuse me, not just annual, but a, a continual, costly, intentional remembrance of what he has done for his people. Um, Douglas Stewart helpfully writes this. Why such an emphasis on commemoration? Because what is not carefully remembered by a community is very naturally and easily forgotten. And virtually completely forgotten as soon as the oldest members of that community who experienced the original event So you might say to us, okay, so what ongoing identity-shaping practices has the Lord given to us? So let's do some biblical theology for a minute. First, these two aren't the only two that God gave to Israel. They're just the only two in this passage. Second, some of you who love details are like, hold up, tell me exactly how we're supposed to do this, pas- this, this unleavened bread thing and tell me exactly how we're supposed to do this whole redeeming thing. That comes later um, in um, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It comes later. Right now, the Lord's just saying, I want you to know why I'm doing it. Then he's going to give them other memorial remembrances. But now, if we put this in the biblical context, the Passover event's not really the biggest event, it's the setup for the main event. The main event is the ultimate Passover that comes through Jesus. The main event is that Jesus, the Son of God, is also the Lamb of God who by his blood takes away the sin of the world and redeems and purchases a people out of sin, out of death, delivers them into his kingdom of light and life and does so by his power. And so Christians are the people of the ultimate Passover. 
And one of the reasons that the Lord wanted this Passover identity to carry forward would be so that when his son Jesus came, his people would see him as the greater what? Passover. But if the identity's gone, if the longing's gone, if the hope is gone, the connection won't be made. And the Lord has given to his church practices that not only are intended to shape us, but are intended to drive us forward in recognizing what our ultimate and fundamental identity is. Two of them are being celebrated today. And I'm not saying there's a direct correlation between leavened bread, um, firstborn son, and baptism in the Lord's Supper. So I'm not drawing lines. I'm just saying these were two examples. These are two New Testament examples. The Lord gave us baptism as an ongoing commemoration of his saving power. Who was faith's baptism for today? My answer is all of us. Look what the Lord did in faith's life. For those of us who are in Christ, remember what the Lord did in our lives. What's the most important thing about Jamie Mosley? That Jesus' blood covers his sin and I've been redeemed. Praise his name. Everything else is secondary. And for those of you who are here today and you're like, I'm not a part of this weird community that you keep talking about. That baptism was to say the Lord could save you in that way too. Remember when Israel left Egypt as a mixed multitude of people that said, hold on, we want to go with that God? That's what's going on here. And then every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What's the Lord's Supper? It's an ongoing remembrance that our identity is found in Christ. What sets us apart? His body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. What's our hope? His body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. Why do we say the same thing every week? Because his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us is our hope. It is what makes the church unique. Not that we're holy, good, righteous people, but that Jesus saves the worst of humanity and changes everything. That's our testimony. And these are our ongoing remembrances. And there are others, but just recognize that the Lord has given these practices to shape the ongoing identity of his people. Which leads to the third and final point, and I promise it'll be short. These are intended to be seen as shaping practices. Shaping practices. Look, God was not at risk of forgetting the Passover. God was not at risk of forgetting how costly his redemption was to his people. God was not at risk of forgetting who Israel was and what Israel needed most. He just wasn't. But he gave these practices to shape them going forward. And it's important that we see them as shaping practices. The the purpose of going through the practice is to be shaped by it. When I say the word remembrance, so many of us in our Western mindset hear this word, reminder. Can I tell you one of my biggest pet peeves as a pastor? It's when somebody comes up to me at the doors back there and goes, thank you. 
Pastor, that was such a good reminder. Siri gives reminders. The Lord's not in the reminder business. He's in the shaping all of who you are business. The first word of this passage, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate means to intentionally declare that this firstborn belongs to God for God's purposes. The purpose of the practices is to shape the people such that the people will always find their hope in who God is, what God has done, and seek to live accordingly. We're going to get to the do's and don'ts of the law here in a few chapters. And what's the first sentence? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Therefore, the therefores flow from the identity. I believe that is why the Lord is establishing these two practices for his people, Israel. And I believe that the principles of those practices are vital for us today. Our identity is found as the people of God who've been delivered and redeemed by God. And he intends that to not just be a fact in our past, but a present reality that gives definition, clarity, and shape to everything that we do. So here are your closing questions today. What is our true identity? Second question, where do I need to be reshaped, reformed, caused to remember and be transformed by what the Lord has done to me? Where do I need to be more shaped and more moved on as I find my hope in Christ. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words which you've spoken and you would drive them deeply and closely into our minds and our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name.